0: Hey, this is Jeff Fuller of Soggy Acres Retrievers and Sporting Dog Adventures TV. We have had a great run showing our love for dogs with our show, our podcast, our social media, and all that is based on Soggy Acres Retrievers. We proudly bring this podcast to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers and ask you, if you are looking for training, boarding, or a yellow, black, or chocolate Labrador Retriever puppies please check out SoggyAcres.com. Remember, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. Our great fans of the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast, we are growing at an astronomical rate, and I want to thank you all. I do ask one thing from you. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Please give us a thumbs up. Follow us. Subscribe to us on whatever other platforms you're on. And the most important thing I can ask is Share our podcast with your friends so that we can grow our love for the dogs and dogs in the field and make it so that people are more involved in our sport. Again, thank you so much for being listeners. Take care. Hey, welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. I am your host, Jeff Fuller of Soggy Acres Retrievers. Many of you have followed us along from our TV show that we had on for nine seasons, Sporting Dog Adventures. And to all of those new, I want to welcome you. We are officially in over 40 countries and right now, The highest listener rate for states in the U.S. is my home state of Wisconsin, but we've got several that are catching up fast. So please spread the love of dogs by letting people know about the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. And also, if you have questions, send them to sportingdogtv at gmail.com and become part of the show. So today I wanted to talk about a topic which a lot of times I come up with topics when I'm out training dogs. Or I'm working with clients and I think of topics that come up often today we're going to talk about your responsibility of having your dog home after training or once you get through your training what you need to do for your dog now this is basically brought about because I got a dog in where a client got a hold of me and it was there were snow goose hunting and I was told hey, my dog won't pick up a snow goose. What do I need to do about it? And when I send dogs home, they're through their force fetch and they are to the point where you can uh, nick them with the collar or give them a correction and tell them to fetch and the dog should fetch it. It is something that this dog was solid when she went home. She still was great on bumpers, but she has made the decision she's not going to pick up birds. Doesn't sound like a hard fix. Well, the problem being, this was in spring, and when I further asked questions, it turns out the dog started doing this during the early hunting seasons in Wisconsin back in September and October, and has been allowed to perpetuate it. So, in other words, the dog has trained the, tra- the, the handler. Now, you would think it would be an easy fix. I get the dog back in. And This dog is basically going to have to go through a modified conditioned retrieve because she is being a brat She has made the decision that she doesn't have to do this. She will go over. She'll mark birds. She'll look at them She'll maybe play with them a little bit and then leave them there and you can go pick it up for her Because this has been reinforced throughout an entire hunting season It is something that I am going to have to put quite a bit of pressure on this dog just to get her back into compliance and then Give her a ton of praise so that we can get her to the point where we need to be, which this is not uncommon. Uh, I try to empower my handlers and my clients to get them to the point where they understand, yes, the dog uh, needs to be needs to have things reinforced, but what I had hoped would be maybe a one week fix for training is likely gonna be several more weeks, which, Many trainers will look at that as, that's awesome. I've got dogs in for a tune-up. I try not to do that. I refer out more dogs in training than I take in uh, just because we only take a limited amount and it's just me training. So I'm referring out dogs to other people. I try to basically empower people when they get their dogs back so they don't ever have to bring them back for training. Make them into a great handler. Make them into someone that is competent not only handling the dog, but keeping them at a standard and This dog was allowed to slide and wow did she slide. She basically has decided that she's not going to hold She is going to spit at my feet and this is on bumpers. So We're gonna first have to fix this on bumpers and get her so she is completely under control. Uh, I had to go back and work with her on walking at heel with a bumper yesterday was the first time We got through about 30 different corrections with the collar. I got to the point where she finally would take a few steps for me. But in all honesty, this is something that I deal with a dog at like three weeks of training. So we've regressed that far. You have to keep your standards up. When you're out hunting, I know that it's easy. The bird falls, you walk over, you find it. Your buddies are telling you hurry up, there's more birds working. And You pick the bird up for the dog at that point the dog has you at that point the dog's like all right my standard is What he's letting me get away with if you're letting a dog spit a bird at your feet and you don't correct them That will be where that bird is always going to be if you are upland hunting or waterfall hunting and the dog is dropping The bird ten feet from you and you have to walk over in the field to get it or you have to wait out to get it that is where the bird is going to be nine times out of ten because the dog is training you. It's hard because they give us those big eyes. They give us that cute look and we allow them as our buddies to pretty much coerce us and train us into what they want. So it's so incumbent on you in the field that you have to work with them and you have to reinforce things even at the sacrifice of a hunt. When you have dogs that you're training in a training atmosphere, you are never going to recreate the circus of hunting. You're never going to recreate the level of excitement that you have or the dog has during hunting. And that is why we have to have our first few hunts and not even worry about carrying a gun, only worry about handling the dog, and also realize that you just may have a hunt that is not as good as it could have been because you had to make sure your dog was performing at a high level and you're correcting retrieves when the hunt is going on. The other thing to keep in mind is if you run into a problem in the field that is perpetuated retrieve after retrieve mm-hmm. and you cannot get the dog to perform at the level, we need to take a step back not hunt the dog anymore, fix the, fix these things before the next hunt, whether it's picking a bird up or holding a bird or finishing a retrieve, and then take the dog back out in the field. The other thing you need to realize is that when you have an issue when you are working with the dog on water, we always fix things on land first and then move back to the water. It is so hard to work with the dog on a retrieve issue or other issues when the dog is out swimming. It could be where they're in Water too deep for even you to go out in your waders, but we want to make sure that we're fixing it. So always stop the problem that's caught, that the dog is having, fix it on the, wa- on the land, and then head back to the water. And this would be a handling issue. This would be a retrieve issue. This would be any issue that you're coming up with because it is so much easier to fix on land. So keep that in mind. We fix things on land if it's if it's something happening in the water, and then transition back to the water once we have it completely fixed on land so yesterday was the first time I got this dog out it's Monday I always take the dogs out to see where we're at and yeah she's gonna be a lot of work um, it could be something and it depends on the dog it could be something where the dog is gonna finally realize while wow, I'm back working with the guy that trained me he's not gonna put up with my crap and she snaps back into attention It didn't look that way yesterday but the other thing when you're dealing with behavioral modification issues conditioned retrieve you will have where it seems like you are so far away from getting the dog to comply to all of a sudden the dog just does it because the dog just gives in always keep in mind never become upset with the dog their job is to push your buttons we have to as handlers and trainers give 80 to 90% positive reinforcement and praise and 10 to 20% negative consequence so that you're making it really easy for the dog to choose the the blue pill over the red pill if we're talking, you know, movie movie semantics, but you're making it really easy for them to choose the correct behavior as opposed to letting them do something bad. Uh, when you are dealing with dogs on something like a conditioned retrieve, they will know they're going to get corrected. And it's always so frustrating because they'll come in, they will spit a bumper at your feet, and then they'll look at you like, oh boy, here it comes, because they know they're going to get corrected. And it's, it's frustrating as a trainer when you look at them and you're like, well, you just do it. But to keep in mind, when you have them finish a retrieve properly... You gotta give them a ton of praise. You gotta love on them. You gotta make mm-hmm. things fun. You gotta be like, oh my gosh, you're the greatest dog ever. Because it is really hard putting stress on a dog. And it's hard on the dog too, not just not just the trainer. So we wanna make their successes abundantly clear that this is what we want so that they get amped up and they're like, wow, this is really fun. And they wanna finish a retrieve. They want to have a positive outcome to, the, to to whatever you're working on. So the dog that I'm dealing with now, we will throw bumpers for her. I am not going to bring her back into heel to finish on retrieves. What I will do is walk with her at heel so I have her under control and I'm going to have her on leash. She is going to be completely on, under control like we are working with a young dog that's just halfway through conditioned retrieve. I will, once we get to that point, throw bumpers for her. I'm going to have her front finish And as long as I can grab that bumper before it hits the ground from her mouth, it is going to be, oh my God, you're the greatest dog in the world. We're going to get her built up to the point where she understands, wow, I've done something really well. And then transition to the point where we are coming in to sitting at heel. I will work with her every day on hold drills and then use the fetch E-collar correction drills when she does drop. So this is not necessarily a, I guess, a complete redo on force fetch. But it's just getting her back in that mindset of, yes, I remember what this was. Yes, I do have to finish retrieves. Wow, he really, really likes it when I am finishing retrieves. And I'm going to keep you updated as we work with this dog so that I can, I guess... Give people hope, but also kind of a thought process of how it works with training and how it works with the dog so that we can learn with this one dog, not only how to train, but how to be a good handler and how to continue keeping standards up. Again, it's not necessarily a knock on folks that are in this position. It's very common, but it's how did we get here and how do we fix it so that we can all learn together and be more successful in the field. So that ends this part of the show. Now next up, I've got another update. We had two dogs that were, I don't even wanna say sensitive to gunfire. They were flat out gun shy when I I worked with them. And I've gotten them both to success. Not 100% success, but we are so far, I'm so pumped. I thought these dogs could possibly be washouts where I couldn't fix it. They're doing great. And we're gonna talk about that upcoming in our training tips next and then after that we have our hunting tips we have lower water finally here in Wisconsin I'm going to talk about my blinds and something I'm going to do that is going to be absolutely nothing to do with my blinds themselves but how to make it so that we're more successful out of those blinds and hunting season coming up after our training tip so stay tuned for more after this Jeff Fuller from Sporting Dog Adventures and Soggy Acres Retrievers. In our house, my wife hates having the plastic kennels and wire crates. We need them for the dogs because we have times when they need to be put somewhere. But she cannot stand the look. So we talked to DCT Kennels and we now have a new partnership with them for a product that is a crate but also a piece of furniture. If you want something that is practical as well as great looking, check out DCT Kennels. Jeff Fuller, again, from Soggy Acres Retrievers and Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. When you look at hunting, you need to have yourself prepared. Our good friends at Mac Outdoors have reloading supplies, as well as great clay target machines to get you prepared so you have more success in the field. Don't get that dirty look from your dog. Check out Mac Outdoors. Welcome back to the show. For our training tip portion, I want to update and talk about two dogs that I had in at our Kennelside Acres Retrievers for our gun dog program. Uh, both these dogs were—they were pretty gun shy. I, I don't even want to say sensitive. They were. I had one who, when I shot near him, he actually audibly yelped and acted almost like I shot him, which was scary as a as a trainer not scary in the sense that oh my gosh the dogs hurt but scary in wow if he's that sensitive how am i going to fix this to give you an idea the way that i introduce dogs to gunfire is i take all of my gun dogs out in our dog yard it's 90 foot by 90 foot i throw bumpers i let them all have fun run around pick up the bumpers do that for a few days and then have someone at distance shoot two of my dogs One did the audible yelp. The other dog ran right back to the kennel. And the other dog had had a mortar firework go off on the ground uh, during a festivity near it. And that caused that dog to be gun sensitive. So I'm working with both these dogs. We then stretched the distance out to 100 yards away and worked with the dogs. And when I threw bumpers and birds for the dogs... The next time, they were still so sensitive, even at 100 yards, that neither of them wanted to work and they just come and sat came and sat next to me. So at this point, as a trainer, I'm devastated. I've got two dogs for clients that are wonderful people who are incredibly sensitive to gunfire and I'm looking at it going, my gosh, they have a lot of money wrapped up in these dogs. How am I going to fix it? What I did was training at a point, went out the window. We weren't worried about training to a level anymore except to get these dogs conditioned to gunfire. Idea being, it doesn't matter how great a dog does on a retrieve if they don't want gunfire around when these are going to be gun dogs. So it was incumbent on me to make things for these two dogs much more fun so that they really, really, really enjoyed what they were doing And we could get them through the noise sensitivity while also keeping in mind that we're going to use them for hunting dogs. So with both dogs, it was finding out what they liked. One dog loves to dive in the water. The other dog loves birds above all. And it was putting them in situations where they had just a ton of fun and no rules. It wasn't enforcing the hold command. What I would do is I would take them out on an extra session and just play with them. It wasn't enforcing steadiness. It was just letting them break, do what they want, and have fun. Because again, we were only worried about the noise sensitivity. Yesterday, this has been going on for three months where I've slowly been adding things in. Yesterday, took both dogs out, got to within... Five feet of the shooter, shooting away from us, but shooting while I was working with the dog. The dog that had the audible yelp showed absolutely zero effects or care about the noise. The other dog, it's funny, if you watch their ears, it's easier to see on dogs with cropped ears or horses where they will satellite their ears around. This dog ran fine and did work, but satellited her ears back to listen to what was going on as she was running out to do her retrieves. So, we're now at a point where they're both fine. I don't need a second person to shoot around them anymore because I can shoot from the line. So what I'm gonna do next is on Friday, I'm gonna take the dogs out. I am going to take them into uh, some shallower water where I take the dogs back and work with them and let them have fun. But what I'm going to do Friday is I'm going to take out multiple dogs. I'm going to shoot the 209 Primer Pistol myself at this area where it is our fun area. No holds barred. It's just about getting the dogs into the water. Honestly, I've got areas that I take the dogs to work with. I'll train with them, but I'll take multiple dogs out to try to really improve their water entries. Dogs, a lot of times, especially with our ponds, they go from like 0 to 8 feet. They don't like to jump into that because we've got quite the tall bank right now with the water being down. So I'll take them to a back pond where it's, I'd say, about a foot to 18 inches deep. They love to splash around and play. They love to wrestle. They love to go out there. It's not about training. It's just about giving them uh, a fun time, letting them relax, but also getting their water entries better. So I'm going to take out probably three dogs at a time. Uh, We have eight dogs in. We'll take out three, three, and two. I'll make sure the dogs that were noise sensitive are in separate groups of three. And just let them go out. Let them have fun. Let them splash around. And we're going to be shooting the primer pistol right next to them. Then we'll transition that to a 20 gauge and have it to the point where they are really going to enjoy themselves. When these dogs go home, it again is going to be incumbent on the owners to work with the dogs in an area where they're having fun, have incorporate this into their training and then what I tell people of all dogs but especially noise sensitive dogs is on the first few hunts only have one shooter and not make that the, the person handling. Make sure the person handling is telling the dog, hey you're doing great, good dog, good dog, releasing them, letting them have fun on their first hunts but not making it where you have six guns going off all at once. We don't want to put the dog in a position where they are going to be struggling and move on from there. So that would be where we're at with our two dogs that are somewhat noise sensitive, making great progress. I hope that helps you as we look at future training for your dogs as well as here at our Kennel Soggy Acres Retrievers. Next up, I want to talk about a tip for hunting that we're going to use this year because our water is down. That and more coming up after this. Hey, this is Jeff Fuller from Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. I want you to know that we buy all of our trucks at Boucher Automotive. We go to Janesville, they've got a great selection, great staff. If you're looking for a new truck or car, check out our friends at Boucher Automotive in Janesville. Hey, welcome back to the show. The last part of our show is always a hunting tip and... This one is an easy one. So I know I've talked about concealing our blinds quite a bit and different things that we're going to do this year to our blinds. Well, one of the things I'm going to do is make sure we are not disturbing the area in front of our blinds. We have had incredibly high water here in Wisconsin at our properties. uh, We've got our 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 hunting property, which was Soggy Acres Signature Lodge, but once we stopped filming, we were no longer hosting hunts there. But I still have the property. and We actually added 100 acres of prime waterfowl and uh, big game uh, property 20 minutes away from there. We are at the point now where the water is down and I know we will have good growth as far as cattails, there's another type of cattail. that's shorter. I can't think of the name of it, but these are going to spring up in front of my blinds. So I have to make sure when we do go back and work on our blinds, we do not disturb the area within 5 to 10 feet in front of our blind because it's going to grow in with really good cover. We've struggled with cover being down the last few years and a lot of it was we were disturbing the area in front and then we had high water and honestly, I think it, it killed a lot of the plant life, but also a lot of the sedimentation washed away because you're disturbing it. So this year, we're going to make sure that we do not disturb the area around our blinds so that they can basically grow in. And I am thinking that we're going to have 5 to 10 feet of good quality cover out in front of our blinds that will shield our blinds, especially in the early season, from the birds knowing we're there. And if we don't disturb that, should grow up and really help us in future years, regardless of water height. So that would be my tip for you on hunting is look at the front of your blinds. If you have a shallower area, do not disturb the area right in front of your blinds. If you're going to work in your blinds, work from the inside of your blinds um, out and make sure that you're letting nature help you conceal for your future hunts. That's it for this week's show. I want to thank everyone for listening. Please like us, share us, give us a five-star rating, give us a thumbs up, subscribe to the podcast, help us grow. We are enjoying making this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day and God bless. Sporting dog adventures run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun. See her under the sun